Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. The Left Wing Podcast in association with Land Rover. Whether you're headed to a match or a weekend away, there's plenty of space for your team and their gear in the new Discovery Sport. Okay, what? O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald. Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast in association with Land Rover. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined in the studio, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Will, how you doing? Uh, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, you know, another week, not a whole lot of movement on the Irish rugby front in terms of on-pitch action, but we have a lot of stuff to talk about, I guess, in terms of off-the-pitch stuff. Yeah. The coronavirus still, you know, causing a lot of disruption all across the board, but you know, we'll probably obviously focus mainly on the rugby stuff. Um, it's it's an unusual time, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, like it's obviously you know reminiscent of the foot and mouth situation. Uh, talking about a lot of uh, kind of games being called off and played at a kind of future dates. Uh, you know, the schedule is pretty pretty congested. I think so. Um, you know, it will be difficult to see, like, or is very interesting at least to see where they try and fit those in. There's talk of maybe October for a few of them, from what I from what I read, but. Um, you know, I don't see how then that fits in with the with the uh, Heineken Cup. Um, you know, so yeah, look, it's it's going to be a challenging little period to to get the, I suppose, to organise. You know, and I suppose what do people do in the meantime? Um, you know, so uh, yeah, interesting to see what all plays out. It's kind of uh, what I, I'm not going to say uncharted territory, but it certainly is seeming like it's kind of heading towards that. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by our coronavirus correspondent Rory O'Connor who who has been uh, get, giving us all the updates of the Irish Independent Rory and you've been busy man today as well you know maybe you should just give us the latest and then we can maybe just kick around what, what it means for you know the Irish teams in general yeah well I mean today the Six Nations followed up on yesterday's cancellation of the men's game by or sorry postponement of the men's game by confirming that the under twenties and the women's game are also going to be postponed, which was you know it was kind of strange that those two games were conspicuous by their absence from yesterday's statement. So they you know those two games were scheduled to go ahead. I think they were in Perpignan this weekend, and they they're now you know going to be played at a later date, which causes complications for both of those teams. Under twenties stopping under twenties at the end of the the season, so they'll probably want to play those games before their World Cup, which just happens to be on in northern Italy, and then. In, in June or July. And then the women have this massive World Cup qualification tournament in September. So playing a game in October is probably no use to them. And Italy are one of the teams that are playing in that tournament. Um, and they're also playing them you know, in a refix Six Nations game at some stage. So that, that's all up in the air. And then Pro 14, uh, again, Pro 14 sent an email today to confirm that Munster's game against Treviso is now, their second game against Treviso is now off home game, which was to take place in Irish Independent Park. 
as is, I think it was Zebra and Cardiff Blues. So they had already postponed the Ulster Zebra game and the Munster are supposed to be playing Treviso twice this month. So the, both of those games are now postponed to be played during the European windows. Ulster, I'm not sure what they're going to do with them. If they go, you know, if they go and beat Claremont, the windows are drying up, but I suppose Ulster won't really care if they're, if they're still, you know, if they're heading towards the Champions Cup latter stages. But Munster's games, if things have, you know, cleared up and things are looking better in April, they'll play those games. Then if they can't find a window to play them in, they'll be called nil all draws, which obviously has massive ramifications from a rugby point of view on where Munster will finish this season. They're currently second, two points behind Edinburgh at the top of Conference B. But if they're, you know, two games against Treviso, obviously not gimmies because but they would have expected to pick up maybe nine points from those two games or at least hope for it. Instead, they might pick up four. So um, it has ramifications on, on their season. But at the end of the day, um, you know, there's a bigger picture of play. So they, they, everyone's kind of saying that they'll go ahead with it. And I guess the big one that people are starting to worry about now is the big game at the Aviva at the start of next month between Leinster's Harsons, which currently is under review. There, you know, there's a watching brief ongoing, waiting for government advice. But there's a necessity to play it when it's scheduled because the very few windows left in the season so we could see the answer versus Saracens probably the certainly the duel in the club season crown this year the game that a lot of people are looking forward to even more than the Six Nations possibly being played behind closed doors at the Aviva Stadium or the ODS mm. Behind closed doors for Leinster Saracens as Rory said is looking like a greater possibility by the day uh, you know what would that do? obviously what would it do for the occasion like no fans is pretty self-explanatory but in terms of like it would be that's uncharted territory, you know, from what you said earlier. Yeah, no, it would be. Uh, and look, maybe we're jumping to kind of conclusions a month out, um, you know. But the only thing is, like, from all the stuff you read, it looks like they've kind of maybe. I'm not sure that I'm not sure. Miss the window for containment is right, but they're in the middle of the kind of containment part of it, and it's. I think it's. It'll be interesting to see if they can manage to do that. It sounds like it's. You know, it seems to be very, um, very contagious. But I'm not a doctor, so who knows? And. Um, yeah, like it's very interesting. Interesting uh, to see how it all plays out. As Rory said, like I mean, there isn't that much of a, there are not that many windows to go and play these games. And like I've been really looking forward to that one particularly. Um, I just feel like they're the two best clubs still in Europe, and um, kind of probably a last hurrah really for for Saracens really as you know in terms of this team and this kind of group of players together. Um, so yeah, no. We, and having played in so many big games like that, like how do you, like how do you ma- imagine it would feel to have- like Leinster Edinburgh in Murrayfield? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, just with probably better opposition in Saracens, so um, that's probably how it feels like. It's kind of almost like kind of cavernous, like it's like there's like echoes around the stadium when you're making calls and stuff. It's kind of bizarre, but is it hard to hit your top performance in that kind can of? Can be, yeah, can be. Like it gets weird. Like when you start off your career as a young person, um, you know, as a young lad, you haven't really played in front of that many. You know, played in front of a few big, big enough, I suppose. And packed good Donnybrook. Packed Donnybrook of three and a half thousand people. Felt like a lot more at the time, but um, and a few like you know in 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 uh, Lansdowne Road at the time that had had reasonably large um, attendances. But when you start off, they're kind of I'm not sure you always play your best rugby there. You're kind of still getting comfortable with that environment, with the noise, uh, etc. But the old like the further you go into your career actually the more you nearly need it like you, you need you love the atmosphere you nearly play your best rugby with a bigger atmosphere so um yeah like it, you know the only thing is it's a level playing field for both teams there's probably no advantage for Leinster in that now and um, you know you would have thought with a big you know with a rock and aviva stadium 
um, that that would have been some kind of home advantage there uh, against Saracens, even though it's a huge challenge. So um, that probably evens things out, probably in favour of Saracens a little bit, I would think. Uh, so we wait and see. Like I think, again, it's probably a big jump to say what's going to happen in that fixture as of yet. But um, it does seem like most of these events over the next little period are probably under threat, that's for sure. Yeah, and Rory, just reading your article this morning about what the rescheduled games might do for Ireland, it's it's such an interesting year in that the World Cup seedings will be decided after the November internationals. And it uh, seems to be a lot of people thinking that you know the, the Six Nations games could be rescheduled for the end of October, which would mean Ireland would have... Uh, five matches in five weekends, which would be, you know, a huge ask of the squad. Um, so it's set up to be a very unusual year for Andy Farrell in his first year in the hot seat and something that will be very, very difficult, uh, you know, towards the back end of it. Yeah, it's a massive challenge. I mean, it's it, it's already a very unusual year for Andy Farrell, you know, to, to have to have that kind of Twickenham experience be your last, your lasting memory of the, the of the Six Nations even though you haven't finished the Six Nations, is this really weird thing to have hanging over the team? And one point I was making is that, that you know there's 34 players or so that left Carton House yesterday. When the Six Nations is completed, I mean a lot of those players, you know, a good chunk of those players won't be back in the squad. You know, to be players who lose form, there'll be players who who are injured. You've potentially got someone like Dan Levy, Gary Ringrose, Jack Conan, uh, Joey Carberry, Ty Byrne probably back on deck. Suddenly the squad could look very different. And you'll also have had you know. Uh, coronavirus permitting a two-test tour of Australia this summer. So, um, I saw today Qantas were cancelling a lot of flights from Europe. So, I mean, you know, nothing's not, we can't take anything for granted. But you, just, you know, you presume that those two games go ahead. He may take a younger squad. I mean, those players have been on the go since June 16th before the World Cup. Some might get it somewhere off. Some, you know, some may be showing signs that that maybe they need it off. You know, he may bring you know someone like Ryan Baird might be might be an international by then. So it's um. It, like that's going to be a fascinating win, you know. Presuming everything goes, you know, the, the the reschedule happens in that way, which is what the French media were reporting yesterday. But the Six Nations have yet to confirm it. Um, you're talking Italy, and um, followed by France away, followed by three home games against Australia, South Africa, and Japan. All the while, you're trying to protect your your world your World Cup seeding. They're currently fourth in the world if they can maintain that position, um, which which is going to be a big ask, I think, given the caliber of opposition and the schedule ahead. They will be top seeds again for the World Cup, which is you know like it didn't work out last time, but it was still a, a very favourable draw. So it's um, there's a lot of stake for them, and also you know they're right in the hunt for a Six Nations title as well. You know, so it's 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 a really really weird. I mean, by the time it gets there, it's going to be really really exciting to see how he how he handles it, how he uses the squad, it'll force him to make changes, but also by then I think there'll be some natural evolution as well. Yeah, I talk about being thrown into the deep end for Andy Farrell, like his first head coaching job, you know, taking over from Joe Schmidt, who's had so much success after a World Cup that didn't go well, so he had that whole rebuild that he needed to oversee. Now he has this, and then, you know, as Rory mentioned, you know, to, to keep in that top four seeding is so crucial. It's a lot, it's a really difficult balancing act he has over the next few months. Yeah, it is. Like, look, one thing I would say is I'm not sure, like, it's a... It's a drawback for him to have this break. I think he'll get to kind of maybe look and assess a few things that have continued to maybe be a problem for the team, like dealing with that kind of press of kind of a very, very high press defense, like coming off the line very, very hard. Maybe consider a few things that have been, a, I think the kicking strategy has been a problem for them for, for a while. Um, I think it's no great harm for him to go on off and have a little bit of time to think about about those things uh, because that hasn't changed for the team uh, and it needs to change. They need to figure out what they're going to do in those circumstances against teams. Um, so, uh, 
that could be a, it could be a help to them. This could be good. Like he, he's got in, he's had a look, he's seen how the team are reacting in battle. Uh, he's you know probably had a look at a few things, said, oh, I wanted, do we actually change that? Do we need to change the pictures here? Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that actually does help. You know, mm. I think there's probably two ways of looking at that. You're saying, well, look, I want to get in and get a body of work in there so I can really get to know the guys, they get to know me, etc. But I think. Um, this could work out to be a good thing for him. Yeah, just to come in on that, uh, Luke. You know, obviously, you know they haven't had a game since the since Trickling, but they have been in camp for you know for mm. for the most of that time. Like, would that have been good quality training? Do you think, or would there have been a lot of like you know waiting around to get the information? And would you know, or would they have gotten good quality you know developmental kind of bedrocks in over that period? I'd say they got good quality bedrocks in. You know, they were able to train against Ulster, uh, which I think will be you know there'll be loads of guys up in Ulster who'd be thinking they should be in the team. Also are playing well. Uh, I'd imagine they were very up for the for, for the training session. So I'd imagine that was pretty intense, um, you know, and a good run out for for both sides, but particularly for this Irish team who are uh, still trying to settle into a new coaching staff. I think um, I think trying to f like I've at the risk of I'm probably going to repeat myself, but they do need to figure out where what they're going to change and how they're going to do it. So the only way you do that is in you know a competitive environment uh, against people who are up for it. So um, I think you know the Ulster fixture sounds like or the Ulster kind of training session sounds like it was a good idea because those guys would be mustered for that. Mm. That was their kind of opportunity to be in the shop window, um, having not been selected in the team. There's loads of people up there who'd be thinking they should be there. So um, I think that was a good idea, and I think it'll be useful for the team. And look, the challenge for them now is that they break up, and like you know, do they get to bed in all these things? You know, over a ten week camp, when you're playing games in the middle of that, you get to bed in a few of the ideas. That might be a challenge for them, but um, I'd suggest it isn't. I think the time off will be good for them because it looks to me like they need to reassess quite a bit. Yeah, and Rory, I know you were, you know, off for a few weeks on paternity leave. Congratulations, Congratulations by the way, Rhodes, on the new yeah. edition. Thank you very much. Um, but I'm sure you're keeping yeah. an eye on rugby as well. Um, what, what have you made of the last couple of weeks? Because I, I, I can't remember when you went. Were you around for the Wales game? I think you were, weren't you? Yeah, no, I went the two days before Twickenham, so I yeah. was. I, so I missed. Twickenham. That means no baby gifts. Um, <laughs> no gifts. Yeah. Unbelievable, um, colleagues. <laughs> um, but what? Yeah, um, what have you? What did you make of of that? You know. That and the fallout, or and what, and what your read on that? I mean, like it was just, uh, you know, you can take when you take the emotion out of it a couple of weeks on, it just confirms the trend of games where Irish teams, including Leinster and Munster against Saracens last season, have been bullied by the English. And, um, you know, the, the Luke's kind of pointed out a couple of the, ta the tactical elements in terms of the English line speed and how they have struggled to deal with that. But we're also seeing kind of, you know, the same players making the same mistakes against similar opposition in, in the biggest games. And I think it has to, you, you would hope that it confirms in Andy Farrell's mind that there's a need, firstly, that, you know, for all the, you know, say, Conor Murray, Johnny Sexton, Peter O'Mahony, not necessarily, you know, all play badly on that day, but there's, there's, it doesn't matter whether he's on a central contract, it doesn't matter whether a player has 100 caps or, or 20 caps, go with the guy that's informed, go with the guy that's physically primed to, to, to play against the team you're playing at the weekend. I think, the time of, of reputation getting into the team has to come to an end at this stage. I thought the World Cup should have been a watershed in that in that regard, but it wasn't. I thought you went with too many of the same players during the Six Nations. I know it worked out against Scotland and Wales, albeit Scotland wasn't a great performance. But I think there's, England are so good at the moment. They're just able to expose all of your deficiencies. I know they didn't hammer Ireland or Wales on the scoreboard, but I think in both games they were physically um, and tactically superior pretty much across the board. And they just show you, like they, they they just show you the level, and they show you exactly what's wrong with your team. So I think Luke's right; he's got time now 
to make a lot of those really tough decisions that would have been, especially with Italy gone, I think he would have rotated against Italy and then possibly used good performances against Italy to kind of justify making further changes into the, into the final game against France. I think it would have been difficult for him to make really wholesale changes going to Paris with potentially, you know, a, a, you know, Six Nations title still on the line. I think Australia, I think the fact that he's got Italy, you know, at that first of those window, if that, those games go ahead, he's got more players coming back. He has got more scope to change now. But I think unless, if he keeps picking these players who are looking at the moment past their best um, and certainly possibly too comfortable in the jersey and too distracted by what's going on outside. They seem almost more upset by what's being said about them by what's than, than the results on the pitch. I think unless he recognises that and starts at least challenging them by, by, by taking them out of the team and giving others a chance, we're just going to keep, keep seeing the same kind of results against the biggest teams. Can't argue with that. Um, Will's looking at me here for an answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can't see your ear Yeah, <laughs> no, it is. Um, but... Yeah, I can't argue with any of that, to be honest with you. Like, I'm not sure, you know, maybe the English game is the one to, to necessarily judge the guys who are being selected on. I would say I was probably looking more at the Scottish game, actually, in terms of that, because I felt like that was there was there that kind of malaise was still there, I think, a little bit. Um, and there's probably fairly good excuses for that. You could say, well, look, that was the first game of the championship. And you could have an excuse for every game. You could. Yeah. You could. No, you could. I think that's fair enough to say, Will. Um, I do think generally at the start of the championship, the better rugby is played you know, the later in the championship from an attacking perspective. But I still think from a from a defensive perspective there was some kind of there was some poor errors in that as well. Like I mean Stuart Hogg scores that try, I think it looks very, very different in that game. Um and that was a clear try. And I think the referee blocked us out for one of our ones. Now we were pressuring them we may have got it anyway. But um yeah, like I do think there are some deficiencies there. I think there's he has a bit of an opportunity maybe to do that now. I know I agree with Rudds in that uh, the Italian game would have been a perfect time um, I think to create some kind of mandate to go and make a few changes that maybe he felt like he couldn't do before that. I, I feel like he's kind of missing a window. There would have been a mandate in place there for him to go and make changes um, if there was lots of guys he brought in in the Italian match who played well. But um, my, my good sense is that he might have missed a window on that. I mm. think the real opportunity to do that was straight away after the World Cup, whereas now he's actually selected these guys. And I actually think they didn't all play that badly. I think what we might get and what we, what we may continue to get is kind of this sporadic performances whereas you know you might have and you're, the, the tendency then is to give the person one more chance after a good game uh, so we've had this kind of up and down rather than like a kind of steady trajectory upwards and and that's going to be a challenge for him because I think the age profile as well he's going to have to take some of these people out um, and then as he introduce people who maybe aren't used or haven't had enough exposure to the level too late into the World Cup cycle and we talk about the cycle again but every other team is talking about it as well um, you know, England are talking about that as well already. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how all that progresses and whether or not this is actually ends up being a good thing or a bad thing for him. But uh, I would suggest, and I hope I'm wrong, that he might have. He's kind of there's a the, 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 probably the opportunity to do this or to make the, a lot of the changes in the kind of tough positions was probably missed at the start of the championship. So um, you know. You keep giving and these guys are good players. Like you keep giving them chances, like they'll they'll play well. But there's probably an opportunity there to blood some new talent. And so, uh, look, we wait and see on that. Yeah, and Roy, just one thing you said that you also mentioned in your, I think, a piece you wrote uh, last couple of days ago, last week, uh, was about the criticism that some of the players are getting and their reactions to it. You know, you had Johnny Sexton coming out very strongly against Ronan O'Gara. You know, you've seen other senior players kind of come out, maybe not as strong, but, you know, similarly, you know, uh, 
defend defensively maybe when they when they have been criticized too like do you think that is you know something that has been happening and that the senior players focusing a lot on the criticism and you think maybe too much a little bit i mean i look i you probably when you work in the media you probably get sucked in a little bit by public discourse you know that what's be, what's being said publicly probably isn't as important to the players as we you know as we attach the importance to it but i did think it was strange that in the immediate aftermath of losing to England, Johnny Sexton was asked by Sinead Kassan on Virgin Media, you know, was that you know one of your biggest disappointments? And he kind of went, no. And then a couple of days later, he was asked about Ronald Gara's, you know, fairly, fairly fair, but also quite, you know, Ronald Gara was quite critical, but I thought he was critical in a fair way. And he, I thought he, you know, he rejected out of hand and, you know, gave a bit of a snarky uh, response about La Rochelle, which I thought was a bit unnecessary. I mean, Ronald Gara, you know, has earned the right to, whatever about someone like me who's, who's, who's just a professional journalist you know Ron O'Gara has certainly earned the right to criticise the team and, and I thought that, that thing Johnny Sexton said about turning your back on the orchestra was a little misguided I mean I think that the um, sorry not turn around turn your if you're conducting the orchestra you turn your back on the crowd I, that's a bit misguided I think fans although you know anyone who oversteps the marks and sends direct messages to the players you know abusing them like the ones Mike Ross pointed out it's like that's that's completely you know beyond the pale but I think what we're doing here and what people are doing in, in, on podcasts like this and in, in the media is trying to find reasons why the team aren't playing as well as, as 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 they have been and you know proposing solutions and proposing alternative players and all that sort of stuff and that's all within the bounds of what's kind of fair criticism and the players need to realise that I think maybe they get skewed by what's coming into their Twitter feeds and you know the fact that people are mentioning you know adding them probably does kind of warp what they think is going on I mean, Early in the tournament, Andrew Conway kind of said that you know there was a massive up and down reaction to the Scotland and Wales games, and you know, that really didn't reflect what I saw in the you know ninety nine percent ninety nine percent of the coverage. I think people have been on a fairly even keel. So, yeah, I think they just need to focus on themselves and focus on you know righting the wrongs of, of their own performances rather than what people think about them. I think that's fair. You know, I'd, I'd say like it was interesting. I, like I think the Ron O'Gara one. I think that will have probably disappointed Johnny because there's usually kind of a code. I've obviously experienced a bit of this myself where, you you know, there's supposed to be a code and you're not supposed to kind of comment on this stuff when you are when you have been a player. So while, you know, and I get the point that, that you're making, um, Rhodes, about, you know, having earned the right to, to have an opinion on it. And you certainly have, I think, you know, people who've played in the jersey, you know, um, someone like Raj, who's, you know, one of the all-time greats, you know, even from a world rugby standpoint, uh, has definitely earned the right to do it. Um, it'll still hurt. Those ones definitely hurt, you know, particularly when Johnny and him have actually gotten very close in the meantime and their families will be close. So those ones will hurt. And I think that's probably what you saw there. Uh, I think you're right in that. It does seem like you can, you can always, like particularly in a, from a media standpoint, I, f- I feel like when you are dealing with the media in those circumstances, you'd probably want to like to to try and hide the maybe the sensitivity a bit more to it you yeah. know i think there's no value really in being combative there i think a text to raj like i've got lots of texts from different players here and there about things they've been upset about um and that's probably a better way of dealing with that i think um rather than maybe engaging with that from you know because there's, there's lots of ways you can deal with that from a public standpoint and it doesn't create a position where it's us where it's you against them some people like to do that, but I don't really think it, it adds any value. I think it builds up maybe a frustration on both sides um, and it ends up actually not being 
Um, there, it ends up kind of damaging the relationship and I think creating a position whereby when things really go wrong, there's no real support for you. You haven't really created that by being open and, and I kind of say, well, look, that was in... Because like, if you look at that, you say, well, look, that's interesting. Like, Rogers obviously has 134 caps, whatever, however many caps Raj has um, for Ireland. You know, look, I definitely take that on board. I disagree. I think I can do both jobs. I think obviously Andy feels the same way and you can brush on and yeah. you can just move on. You know, and that's probably the way to do that. We're obviously looking at us here going, well, you know, we know how good a player Johnny Sexton is. We obviously know that would have been disappointing for him, uh, for him on the weekend. It would have been one, of, I think, a huge disappointment, I'm sure, um, against England. But um, you know, I think we end up now talking about something that probably could have been cut out fairly quickly, and he could probably address that with Raj if he was upset about it over text. Yeah, it's interesting, Roy, because obviously, like you know, as you're, as you're saying there, you know, it would be more beneficial maybe for the team or for the players to maybe not kind of react like that publicly and you, but you do see how much it, it hurts and even Rory Best you know Ireland captain you know you got to mention in his book as someone that he he, he, was, he was very hurt by some of the things he wrote it obviously uh, does kind of you know stick with these guys yeah I, I do think that you know without I, I do wonder about the, the media management and all that sort of stuff and, and how well these players have been advised you know what's behind what's written and I know like there's there's good people in, in media management certainly in the provinces and 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 I do think that, like, not, none of us enjoy when Ireland are going badly and when we have to stick the boot in. Like, I mean, it's a much easier job and a much nicer job when Ireland are going for a grand slam and tweaking them and playing them off the park and we're writing superlatives about how good they are. And then they go to Australia and win a series, you know, by digging deep and then they go and meet the All Blacks. I mean, that's the, like, that, like no one, if your day-to-day beat is, is covering Ireland, when you're writing negative things about them, it makes life very difficult because the players don't like it. But it's coming from a place where you want improvement, you want the team to show signs to, to, that they're that they're playing, you know, that they're moving in the right direction. And and that's where I think most of the media, anyway, and, and certainly the pundits are coming from. And I think O'Gara, that when if you watch them, on, I, I, it was a rare opportunity for me to watch an Ireland game on TV that time. And, you know, he, he was so impassioned. He was hurt by how Ireland had played it. I think, you know, he felt it was below the standard that it required at the jersey. It's, he's not coming from a place like, his life would be a lot easier if he wasn't calling out Johnny Sexton in the media, but he's doing his job. So, yeah, I think you just got to get like good advice in there and good kind of people to kind of take you down off, off the off the parapet and just say, come here, look, just text that guy or, or ring him and, and find out where he's coming from and give him a bollock and if, if that's what it takes. Um, I, I can't criticise Rory Best you know, and call for him to be removed as Ireland captain and then give out that he's you know having a go at me in his book. He's more than you know he's he's, more, he's well within his rights and uh, that's fair play to him. But you know. What I think shouldn't really matter that much to Rory Best. You know, he's he's 127 caps for Ireland. He's captain Ireland. All, lots lots of great things. His focus should be purely on on the, the you know being being the best he could be for Ireland. And I'm sure it was most of the time. But I, you know, I just think they're wasting a bit of energy. It was a big criticism I had of Joe Smith was that he wasted too much energy on this stuff. And, you know, if you're if you're thinking about the, you know people like us talking about you on podcasts and writing about you. You're not thinking about what you should be thinking about, and ultimately, we don't matter. What really matters is what you do between those white lines. Completely agree. Yeah, that's a good take on it, you know, because I think like the temptation is always to create a situation where you feel like everything you say actually really matters, you know. When really, I completely agree with you. It's like I think no one here is looking at enough rugby um, to really be 
informed enough to be giving really good advice to someone like Johnny Sexton, who, compared to us, is a you know he's a rugby savant. You know, like we're just not in the same league as we're just not watching enough. We're not analysing enough. We haven't experienced the white heat of battle playing ten when things are going bad or things are going good. And the experience that you have that we just like you'll never be able to learn enough to really be able to take into account or to really be taking that stuff to heart from someone who's writing an article who's trying to you know looking at the game but surely some things are just obvious you know there's not everything requires like, no but I think that's fair enough and I think everyone and, and that's fine you know and and you can say yeah some things are obvious but some things aren't obvious yeah. as well like, there's lots of things that like you look at things and you look at a mistake so you look at maybe uh, you know a drop ball uh, say for example the drop ball behind the England goal like when for, their, for their first try and the chip over the top well some people will say well that was a mistake by Johnny um, but and, you know and clearly it was a bad bounce and they should have let it bounce but like really someone else was out of position for that you know and unless you looked at the, at the, the, the positioning in the backfields you say well someone's gone too someone's reacted too slow or someone so there's lots of other things that kind of create these problems Problems that impact on a decision that or something that looks very obvious that I think isn't. And if you're not looking at the game in that scope, you're not you don't understand how they're supposed to be defending in this situation, which you can only ever know if you're in the setup. It's very hard to know those things. So we'll never know those things. And not and you know, and all these things have an impact and have a knock-on effect on you know something that looks very obvious to us. And yes, it is some of those things are clear and obvious. But there's lots of other things that impact that. And I would say, you know, to someone like Johnny or to other people in the in the setup who are looking at that, you know, make sure that you are, you know, that you're, like I would say, you should know when those things are going wrong, the obvious things, but you should also know when there's lots of other things that impacted that. And when you feel hurt that someone's only pointing out the obvious thing, you have to understand that they won't, they're not going to see all the other stuff from behind you. They're not going to be able to do it. They can only comment on what they can see. And I think based on that, you know, you probably shouldn't be getting offended by the stuff but you also shouldn't be letting you know people blow smoke up your arse if 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 by that logic you're not getting offended then you can't be letting them blow smoke up your arse when things are going great mm. you know you have to try and stay in that even keel easier said than done like at the end of the day all these guys are human and one thing i would say is we are always looking for a little bit of interaction with the players as well so sometimes like while it isn't while it doesn't add value from i'm more giving it from a player perspective where i'm saying does it really add value to do that for you but from a media perspective it's great. Like we've nothing to talk about because all the games are cancelled. Yeah. But we we end up having yeah, we end up we, for this. No, but we end up having something to talk about now where yeah. you know which is kind of good. Like we want players to be yeah. showing emotion that from, from time to time and showing that it means something to them and that it hurts that someone like you know Ron O'Gara, who I'm sure Johnny would would absolutely respect, um, you know, says something that it kind of hurts his feelings. It's good. That's mm. like we want that. We always are calling for that, but. I'm giving it from the player perspective saying does it really add value for him mm. I'm pretty sure it doesn't well we've done well to knock a half an hour no <laughs> games uh, we, we, was that we was, might yeah? just to finish up talking about the two matches over the weekend Rory mm. obviously while the Six Nations is now taking a hiatus until the autumn we are leaving with a much different look on the championship than we had before last weekend France were in the driver's seat they lost to Scotland you know after that red card another moment of madness we've seen that before you know like similar at the World Cup and then England obviously rolling over Wales while it was tight in the scoreboard as you mentioned earlier they were you know, they were a good bit better. You know, was the big story of the weekend for you, you know, France maybe reverting to type a little bit, or was it England's big win? What what did you take away from it? Well, firstly it's not a, it, unless I've missed something, Wales Scotland's still done on, isn't it? Oh yeah. I think so. Yeah, so at least we like I mean, God thank God for I mean, I'm pinning a lot of hopes on that. That's pretty <laughs> much my rugby my rugby watching for the weekend. And um, I might try and get it to Trinity Lansdowne on Friday night just because, you know, you, you get you get starved of this stuff, but uh, at least there's one game on TV on Saturday. Um yeah, the, the big story of the weekend, I mean, the big story of the weekend seems to be Joe Marder, really. I mean, it's kind of dominated everything else. But yeah, like from a rugby point of view, France 
falling so far short having been and I, it didn't come as like just listening to stuff and reading stuff it seemed like a lot of people that earmarked this as a potential uh, you know a real banana skin people had seen that you know scotland have been actually quite good you know for a team that's results are really poor but they, they perform really well in dublin they were decent and horrendous conditions against england and they've had a couple of big moments go against them you know they're fairly comprehensive winners against italy that they always had the capacity to you know at home to, to this young coming French team that they, they could they could do something and they've all you know Murrayfield has long been the the graveyard of Grand Slams, you know, it's it's it you know going back, you know, decades. So um the fact that they imploded to such a degree and, and got the red card, it, it's kind of disappointing when you when you think about the excitement that was behind this French team, but at the same time you kinda of, I suppose there's a dose of reality bite in there as well. Um throws it open. I mean it, like this would be a phenomenal Super Saturday to finish off. In, in Paris this weekend, if 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 France had, had you know sorry you know if, if, if you know with three teams maybe four teams even going for the title of the weekend, it's such a pity that's not going to be that proper grand finale. But yeah, I, like I think it just sums up a Six Nations that really these post World Cup Six Nations are kind of weird. You know, England we're still having a bit of a hangover when they went to Paris and, and you know got, got the ass handed in the first half, but have kind of come back to the team that they were. Apart from that, I don't I think everyone is in a bit of transition. It's um. You know, I still think England are the class team in the tournament, even though France, you know, stole a march on them on the opening day. Yeah, I think, look, it probably did show up a few things. I think if you look at the Wales game, like Entomac gets a, that intercept, that goes either way. If he throws the dummy, you know, Wales are probably pretty close to scoring a try off the back of that, and it's a very mm. different story. And they did look like they were kind of wilting, like the amount of Welsh line breaks in the game, uh, if they'd been a bit more clinical, they probably could have, I think, Put a bit more pressure on France at least and probably would have, you know, could have been a very different story. Uh, so I think maybe it is a good time for them to maybe go and reassess and say, look, uh, if we if we really look at the Welsh game and if we look at this, like we just can't have these kind of moments of madness from guys. So you need to make an example of it. Um, and I think they'll probably look and say, look, there's still a bit, a bit for, for this team to go. But I think, look, there's, you know, there's lots of positives for them so far. Uh, it is a shame, as Rui said, we don't get to see them on a Super Saturday, um, you know, in in Paris uh, against an Irish team that I think will be really gunning for them. Uh, and we feel like there's a few areas where they could definitely, like, if you can hang in there long enough against them, like, the Irish team would definitely be looking at that Welsh game and saying, look, there's opportunities there. Like, they will give up opportunities now. If you can, they'll be difficult to contain. There's lots of flair. Uh, you know, DuPont missing would have been big, but, you know, because that, that chip across, like, that was just a class piece of play. But um, leaving that, like, they have that, that ability there. But if you can stick with them, if you can stick tight defensively, if you can manage them, you know, they will. There's, there's still a few of those cobwebs I think from um, you know the, the last 10 years that are there you know you're talking about you know a little bit of you know a few fitness issues once you get through the kind of 50-60 minute mark uh, you know can they hang tough with you can they go through the longer phases and we see you know is the discipline there clearly there's a bit to work on in, in a few of those facets but um, still would have been a big ask What about Scotland for you? Yeah Scotland have been good like I, I like Bart like Stuart Hogg at a moment of madness like what a, what a player he is, but, um, you know, that could have been a very different story against Ireland as well. So, um, yeah, like, I think Ireland had more of the game, but not by much. Um, and I think they've been very positive. It's interesting to see that the Finn Russell thing hasn't seemed to impact them as much as everyone thought. Um, may end up actually being a positive for them. Um, I think Finn Russell is a quality player. You can see he can do he can do great things, but is he consistent enough? And, and I would suggest that there's probably a balance to be struck there between his... 
uh, I would certainly suggest, sorry, that there's a balance to be struck between those moments of flair um, and maybe just being consistent and kind of delivering on, you know, the basics of the game. And I think Hastings has probably done that uh, for them to a certain extent. Now you still see bits of flair and a few mistakes from a young guy kind of, you know, new in the position or newish in the position at least uh, of playing international rugby at 10. So, yeah, like I think they've looked good. Uh, I was, I'm happy for Gregor Townsend. Uh, I, you know, I like Finn Russell, but I think that actually might end up being a good thing for them, well, Will. Saturday is the big one because, you know, they've had big wins at Merrifield, you know, loads of times over the last couple of years mm. when Vern Cotter and Gregor Townsend and, and oftentimes then they've gone away and, and they haven't backed it up. So they haven't won in Cardiff, I don't think, since maybe 2002. And that's their only win away from home in the Six Nations. Besides that one in Croke Park, that hasn't come against Italy. So it's a huge ask in terms of backing it up. But Roy, maybe to finish up on the England-Wales game, you mentioned Joe Marler earlier. That incident obviously has gotten a lot of attention um, kind of in the in the in the moment when the replay came up, it was kind of played for laughs a bit, and then subsequently, I think people are maybe getting a bit more worked up about it and think that it's kind of yeah, it, like Alan Wynne Jones kind of after the game kind of summed it up. You know, what have you what did you make of the incident, and what do you think that should happen now tomorrow? Yeah, I'd like I think I think Alan Wynne Jones set the tone for what the response should be. I mean, it, you know, it did play for laughs, and all the worst accounts on Twitter, you know, were 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 turning it out with loads of laugh crying emoji faces. But at the end of the day. There's no place. There's, there's like there's no scenario um, where you can touch someone's genitals, you know, without their permission. Like it's just not. It's not. That's just not cool. Like you know, it's like it's not something. Just because you're playing international rugby in front of eighty thousand people, or even playing in the back pitch of Donnybrook, you know, it's like I know lots of things happen on the rugby pitch that aren't normal outside of outside of the, those white lines. But you know, some things are, are pretty sacred. I think like Adam and Jones. Fairly cut through the the, the the bull when he when he kind of answered his questions in the press press conference afterwards, and I think set the tone for how he sees it. And as kind of a mature international captain, I think a lot of people stood up and you know took note of that. So I, I think he's going to get hit with it. I open like I'm not, no one's calling for you know life bans or you know you know lengthy too lengthy stuff. But I think you know he needs to be made an example of. Like he did, I think he did it in another Premiership game last month or the month before. Someone sent me a, a video of it. Um, you know, I just think it's the kind of thing. Some, I think David Walsh the weekend described Six Nations as as uh, rugby's Wimbledon. You know, there's people watching the like the audience figures came through from the BBC today. They're massive. You know, like I do think there has to be some example made of him. I know he didn't potentially cause the same sort of injuries that that House did, or that, that, that sorry potentially could have, or that Manitoulagi certainly could have with, with his kind of human missile tackle on George North. But at the same time, it's just like he, you know he's breached a pretty big social norm there, and I think it, particularly in the current climate, but even even disregarding the current climate, I just think that's something you can't do. And, and even if he's seen as some sort of cheeky chappy and a bit of a cad and a bit of a, a lad, you know, that's just, you know, taking banter way, way too far. It's the worst form of banter. Just, you know, like, I think punish him and move on and you hope that, like, he won't do it again and other players who, for some reason, because I have no idea of why you would ever do it, um, but anyone who it crossed their mind, they might be warned off doing it again, you know. Yeah, look, they've got to stamp it out. Unfortunately for him, he seems like a good character in that. Uh, do enjoy listening to him speak, and it does seem like a kind of funny character. There's no doubt about that. A bit quirky, I think. Um, so um, yeah, like it doesn't make any sense to me. It's interesting here that it sounds like he's done it before and got away with it, but now's the time to stamp it out because it just opens up a can of worms for you if you don't. I think um, you know people will think it's okay to hit people there um uh, you know and i would kind of consider it on the same kind of scale as like in terms of vulnerability vulnerability in the in the area it's kind of like an eye you know like it's a real sensitive area you know it is a bit well like think about it like it's it, like 
you know, if you think about the, even the texture of the fucking thing, it's like, do you know what I mean? It's it's really sensitive. Like, you create a real dangerous precinct if you don't come down really heavy on them here now because, um, you know, if people think it's okay to be kind of grabbing and pulling around there, um, it's the same as kind of grabbing and Like, you can do some serious damage. Like, what if what if he, you know, his testes were kind of damaged or whatever and he can't have kids or something like that? That's a, ser that's a serious thing, um, to be honest with you. So... Uh, the, the implications of hitting someone there or grabbing and pulling or twisting or something like that, um, you know, there's a reason there's a, there's a long ban attached to it and you can see the minimum, I think the lower end roads is 12 weeks, is it? Yeah. Look, leaving aside the, the kind of social norms and as Rudd said, it's not actually, like when you enter onto the pitch, lots of things aren't normal. They're not, in, and you can't say like a punch or something like that. If there's a digging match, it's treated, like it's not treated as an assault. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Which is very unusual. Yeah. Um, and so you wouldn't treat this as like a kind of a sexual assault, but it's just not, nor it's, it's it's a behavior that we just can't accept in the game. Uh, and I feel bad for him because I feel like there was no real malice in it, but they have to make an example of him, mm. I think. Um, and it does, um, It'll, it'll hurt him. I think it'll really hurt him, you know, because he does seem like a good fella. Um, so it's a bit of a shame, but they're going to have to do it. And just to end the wrap up on the on the match itself, you know, were you impressed with England? Really impressed. Yeah, I thought they were excellent. Like, there's lots of things I don't like about them. I hate all the kind of sledging and and all that kind of stuff. Like, I just think there's no need for them. I think they could really they could do what they're doing and be a class act at the same time. Um, you know, and I just think some of the stuff, like even like Manu Tuilagi, like there's that's clearly a you can't he's always tucking he's always always tucking that arm in like he does it late he tries to hide it but you know he's such a big fella like he'll just he'll murder guys if he he can have this he can have these huge impacts um by leave and still leave the arm open you know and, and do the do the tackles correctly he's always trying to hide the tuck um so i think they'll make an example of him as well he's got a lot of these kind of bands um you know for for this kind of tackle so um, yeah, he could be made an example of as well. It was a real shame though, because he's such a great player. Like, I mean, how much of an impact did he have on the game? He was superb. You can see, you know, particularly when Billy Vunapola is missing, and and I uh, look, I think the guys in the, in the uh, you know, I think Marler particularly is a super player, um, and Sinclair as well. That you know, they don't miss Mako as much, even though he's a he's a great player. But they don't miss him as much as Billy say, um, particularly in attack. Manu bridges the gap for them there and he's such an important cog in the wheel for them so uh, it'll be a shame but I think he'll get a big ban as well in terms of the performance excellent they get I just think they're so physical around um, that kind of between the first defender and the fifth defender if you're heading into that channel against England they are just doubling up on all the shots and they're murdering guys in there they are just like the technique for lots of I think Curry has just been oh, every time every person he nearly touches in there with a hit he is busting them up uh, he's been so so impressive uh, to watch in there and he's been a massive impact I know I think they lose something in the attacking perspective from him but from a defensive perspective Jesus he has been such he's been one of their standout players to me kind of quietly gone about his business um and Atoja as well, like just a hard to contain in there. Like you nearly feel claustrophobic watching them, uh, or watching the teams trying to play around them. Um, and they've been really, really impressive. As as uh, you know, Rudd said earlier on, bar the first half against France, like they've just been outstanding. They kind of picked up where they left off. Yeah, Rory, I'll give you the last word then on last weekend. You know, how impressed were you with England? Yeah, like really impressed. Similarly impressed to how I was coming away from their game against Ireland and you know probably their game against New Zealand at the World Cup, which was the most complete performance this team has certainly put out. And you just wonder what happened a week later against South Africa. You know, like the, it was the only time we've seen the bully probably since you know property bully since Ireland went over there in 2018, uh, which seems like a lot long time ago now. But you know, South Africa, you know, I, I suppose South Africa did show that they're human, and if you do, you know, like any. 
any team that relies on bullying you physically, if you can take away that physical element, they, they, there are vulnerabilities there. And that's just the one thing that we'll be looking at now or whenever they, they I mean, they're all at Cheltenham today, so they're not thinking about it too much. But, they, you know, when they do reconvene for whenever the, the finale is going to be, like, why are they letting teams hang in games? Why didn't they get bonus points to, to match their dominance? You know, how did it end up in a three-point game against Wales? It, it, you know, as, as Luke said, like, do they have to be... Like, I, I think they obviously have pinpointed their own nastiness as, as a kind of a badge of honour that it's part of their identity that they want to... You know, Eddie Jones said when he first came in, he wanted to embrace being English and the fact that nobody likes them. And, they, you know, they, they, shouldn't, they, they shouldn't mind that. They should actually they see that as a positive, that they're, they're kind of... a you know, and, and they have that, like, they, 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 there's good things to that nastiness, and there's times where, like, you know, on Farrell was a bit ridiculous on Saturday, and, um, you know, Toje sometimes just, you know, <laughs> looks like he's going to give away a penalty with every act, but he's brilliant while doing it, and he gets away with it, but you wonder whether they, if they, if they lose, if they, you know, focus a little bit less on that, and focus a little bit more on their, their own other strengths because maybe they don't need that much that that that, that much anymore. They could be a phenomenal. Like, team is there ever Rudd? Do you ever think there's a need to be like pushing a, a guy's face into the ground when he's made a mistake? Like, whatever about like running in, picking up your own player, giving him a clap on the back. Like, that's all. They're great. They're great moments for the team. Like, it is a big lift. But like, do you ever need to push the other guys? Do you know? Do you know when George uh, North knocks that one over? I just think it's just in yeah. bad taste. Do you know? Like, and yeah, I actually yeah, think all I, that I, stuff, like all that stuff, actually ended up helping Wales. Like the lack of discipline, I think, will definitely, like against a good team in a tight match, those kind of things, they'll, they'll they'll come against you. Like I'm just I'm convinced of it. Like I think it doesn't cost them now, but against a really top opposition, I think it will cost them. Do you, Do you feel any? Is that yeah, is that the area you're looking at as well as as me? Yeah, no, I def, that, that's the kind of stuff, and it's you know Farrell getting involved with CJ Stander in the you know in the in the previous game, and you know it happens with Farrell and. But I do think it's they're almost mirroring their coach that Eddie Jones is so abrasive and wants them, you know, everything's a battle with Eddie Jones. You know, every press mm. conference is, apart from the ones where he says nothing deliberately just to annoy the journalist, everything's a battle. Even the way he went into battle after they beat Wales on Saturday, you know, you know, like I think that's they're mirroring the the identity of their coach who's so niggly and such a battler. And I don't think it's doing them. Like I think it was probably part of what established them as this good team. You know, when they were winning that first Grand Slam and backing her up in the championship. But I think they've established themselves as such a good team now. They don't really need to be doing it, um, and they make it unpleasant enough to play for play against them just through their tackling alone and the ball carrying. So I don't know. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I don't think they need to be doing that. So, um, and it does. I think it, it certainly makes them. I think I wrote after they beat New Zealand that they're kind of like the most likable English team that we've had for some time. You know, it's kind of. I think that's going to to win though mm-hmm. <laughs> in in the last couple of weeks. But I mean, they don't care about that. They're winning. But yeah, I think definitely they're undermining their own efforts by being a bit too bulgy, you know, and, and they could definitely cut some of that out. Yeah, but they are, I guess, in the prime position now to, to maybe win the Six Nations whenever it does resume. But for the moment, Rory, Luke, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, well. That's all we have time for this week on the Left Wing in association with Land Rover. We will be back next week with another podcast. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. But until next week, thank you for listening and goodbye. The Left Wing Podcast in association with Land Rover. Whether you're headed to a match or a weekend away, there's plenty of space for your team and their gear in the new Discovery Sport. 